Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Folks and Friends, a podcast by Folks Finance. Here, we invite the brightest builders, creators, and thought leaders to talk blockchain, tech, finance, and everything in between. I'm your host, Ibu Karel. Let's learn something together. Assets discussed on Folks and Friends may be held by participants of the podcast. This podcast is purely educational. Hello, hello, hello. So we're back with folks and friends. Super excited for this episode with Chainlink today. Of course, this is a huge episode for us. Great way to bring it back. Uh, First, I wanted to, um, before we get into the Chainlink discussion, I wanted to just kind of welcome everybody. And um, maybe Ben and I, maybe we can kind of update people on the the latest things uh, briefly that we might be talking about today. Uh, Give some context to the conversation while we wait for our guest uh, Luke to join um, to join the speakers panel. So yeah, uh, lately it's been a busy time for folks finance. Uh, been you know new governance period began. Uh, we saw a record number of uh, people participating in the liquid staking on um, folks finance, where you can earn about eighteen percent on your algo mint G algo. Of course, that's been big. Um, we have the ultra swap new feature, uh, which is, you know, a, uh, loan multiplier essentially. And, you know, we have obviously the chain link build program that we're going to talk about. Um, so Ben, what's, you know, what have you been thinking about the last few months for folks? How, how, uh, how's it been feeling? Oh my God. It has been uh, a very busy times. So, uh, obviously we are always bullish. And, you know, like those markets, uh, uh, bumps in those last, uh, uh, days, weeks, uh, it's kind of give you the energy, you know, to, to go faster with more energy, no, but things are, uh, are great. Uh, we are doing as always new developments, new innovation, and, uh, you know, like always more conferences for me as well. So it's a very busy, but, uh, we try to keep up at the best we can, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially as a small team, you know, it's, uh, we try to do everything, try to play every part of the game. Um, super demanding, but yeah, as you said, it's, uh, feels like finally we're getting some wind in our sails, uh, right at the perfect time. Um, as we, you know, gear up for this new product that we're building, the cross chain lending, I'm sure many of you may have read about it, uh, but we're going to get into that discussion during the space. Once again, everybody welcome to folks and friends. This is the podcast by Folks Finance. Uh, I'm Ibu Corral, Head of Partnerships at Folks, and I'm here with Benedetto uh, Biondi, the CEO of Folks Finance. We like to bring people on, um, great guests from around the ecosystem, talk about the projects that they're doing, um, get perspectives from places that we may not have heard before, and hopefully you enjoy it. Of course, this space is on X Spaces, or this uh, this podcast is recorded on X Spaces, but you can find it on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube as well. So if you want to find previous episodes, check those out on the Folks Finance channels. You can just look up Folks and Friends. Let's get into it. Uh, today, our guest is Luke, who is the um, BD for uh, Chainlink Build Program and does partnerships for Chainlink CCIP. Um, so we're really excited to have a representative from Chainlink here. Uh, really excited to talk to Luke about Chainlink and the build program and various other things that, um, 
that other or sorry that we might be uh interested in coming in 2024 uh luke welcome to the space um and yeah say hi to everybody so we can get into the convo hey boo hey man good to meet you guys oh my audio is doing well yeah great to have you here um so you know we're gonna get into some discussion and at first uh, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? You know, how did you come to this position of working at Chainlink? Um, how'd you get started in in the crypto industry? I feel like it's always a story. Yeah, it's a story indeed. Um, not sure that I have the the most eventful story um, compared to the rest. Um, but it's great to meet you, and especially I think. Uh, we just came back from SmartCoin as well. Uh, together with Ben, who was speaking at the panel. Uh, so good to see the different initiatives that we are working on together. It's a pleasure and honor, uh, to be in this Twitter space. So maybe a bit of, of myself. Um, so I I'm part of the go to market team. Uh, here at Trending Maps and largely responsible for both CCIP go to market strategy, uh, as well as the build program. Uh, as well, right? And I think we go quite way back. <laughs> um, given that we have been working alongside from the very beginning, uh, with Ben and team, right? Uh, with regards to exploring synergies with the build program, having you guys been on board the build program as well, and that uh, it's so good to see that the relationship is deepening. Uh, and as you guys are planning ahead to expand into EBM space as well, more than happy to be a part of that. Um, a bit about myself. Um, so I first came into crypto and, and blockchain. I think my first knowledge about it was back in 2017. Uh, and I think back then it was when during the, the art market, right. And with that, we do see, I was learning about it in my, back in my university days, uh, under the FinTech course, right. And I think that was when I knew about how blockchain works, right? Uh, and with that, got experience into uh, the crypto space in general. But I think back then, there was a lot of vision that was put out. Uh, also pretty speculative uh, in terms of the market. Back then, we don't see as many use cases. DeFi summer hasn't really kicked into place, right? Um, so I wasn't fully convinced about the technology. So I didn't really go full in. Uh, I only went in uh, really more so in like 2020 where I saw, I mean, we all saw, right, uh, COVID hit, right? And that was when the quantitative easing uh, as well as the expansion of money supply within the system. And that was also when I think prior to Bitcoin halving, uh, there was this narrative about had Bitcoin's relevance uh, with its hard money thesis and that coupled together with the inflation of global monetary supply, right? I think that was when I was, I do see a lot of uh, traction, not just on Bitcoin, but also development and innovation that's been happening across the blockchain. Ethereum was by far, I think back then, uh, one of the chains that really took off, right? In terms of use cases, DeFi summer kicked into play, and then that's when I really went deep in, right? Uh, back in 2020. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, happy to share more about my previous roles, but I think it's pretty boring. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, let me know. So, so what, um, 2020 obviously was a big time in the crypto industry, especially with COVID. What is, what effect did you think the pandemic had on driving adoption, uh, in the crypto industry from your perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So I think the pandemic really kicked into play in terms of, uh, Bitcoin as an asset, right? In terms of its role within the financial system as a monetary asset, right? But I think that was also the period in time where you have industries that were anchored on paper promises like Robin Hood, right? We see more and more of such instances where they back out of their paper promise, right? So like what happened in Robin Hood was the whole situation with Citadel. I'm not sure whether you guys are familiar. I think COVID really... uh. Maybe everyone was uh had too many too much free time. Um and that right. really drove a lot of people to understand more about investment uh and stock market, etc. And that was when Robin Hood took off, right? And with that we have also then seen as Robin Hood took off, one of the key things that we have also seen is that people didn't understand the business model of Robin Hood, right? People just think of it, oh, it's a it's a free trade, right? Um I don't have to pay any form of fees, they don't understand that Robinhood needs to have revenue somewhere, right? They just see the benefits. Up until the point where the entire situation with Citadel, right? And people start to realize, hold on, like, I thought I could trade your platform. Why am I now being a consumer, right? I mean, they typically have this term that says, if you don't understand uh, the business model or where the money comes from, you are probably the the you are probably the best. Correct, right? correct. Uh, so you are. <laughs> so I think that really drove drove the need for DeFi as well, right? Uh, that there is a need where we need to move away from paper promises, where it's driven by code. Obviously, then you need to have reliable code, right? That's tried and tested. But once you have those code that's put into place, like what we see, folks finance being one of them. Right, uh, but many of the other DeFi protocols that you see right now, right, these are anchored by smart contracts and they can't be changed. And they can't be changed by any single party if, let's say, the governance process is very much decentralized across. Yeah, definitely. And um, also, Ibo, let me add yeah. uh, a quick uh, pass on this. It's a very interesting point of view of this one of Luke and uh, reflecting also on uh, one of the um driver that during uh, the pandemic time uh, probably uh, also boosted uh, the web3 in general is that uh, uh, if we think about uh, uh, web3 teams they are mostly decentralized right and uh, during the pandemic we had uh, uh, the push of remote working so uh, some of the dynamic that before would push a startup to have uh, um, say an in-house team uh, uh, that could go to the office were broken from uh, uh, the new dynamic of having the remote working. So uh, many web teams would uh, uh, easily, uh, in, in an easier way, being able to team up, right? That is also a thing that I would uh, consider during uh, uh, the pandemic for the growth of crypto projects. Definitely normalizing the global office in a way, the, the digital office. Um, we, we work remotely. Uh, folks, we have people all over the world. I don't think we would be able to get nearly as much done if we had to be in uh, in the same spot at all times. 
yeah, man, especially if I think about uh, Italy, right, where uh, uh, maybe in uh, other teams, like especially in the US, remote working could have been already uh, widely used, uh, but doing calls on uh, Zoom or Meet in Italy wasn't that common before pandemic. It became uh, a necessity and then, uh, you know, like this uh, in country like, like uh, ours, uh, it could have uh, boosted the adoption, definitely. Right, and that that not only legitimizes uh, remote working, but also legitimizes um, crypto crypto based companies as being kind of more of a thing. Instead of uh, you know most companies or most projects were just small teams, a few developers, and then with the with the wide scale adoption of remote working, I think a lot of teams were able to scale up in a way they couldn't have before. Um, and of course, Luke, you mentioned we were in, we got to DeFi summer which I think was summer of 2021. And uh, the industry essentially um, accepted DeFi protocols for the first time in a in a hype cycle, which was really um, interesting to see. Of course, things went up and down, uh, but that was probably a lot of the crypto community's first introduction to many more um, DeFi, uh, excuse me, DeFi apps, including AMMs, lending protocols, staking, et cetera. Um, Ben, how did you meet Luke and, you know, how'd you guys get introduced to each other, um, back in the day? Yeah. Um, so, um, in the beginning of this year with, uh, uh, folks, we started to think, uh, uh, how we could expand to other ecosystem. And, uh, uh, when we started to, to think about, uh, the cross chain lending protocol, uh, we started a due diligence over the different messaging layer that we could use. And uh, indeed, uh, we were definitely already interested on CCP, even though there wasn't much of documentation at this time, but uh, our CTO was saying uh, we should know more about that. And uh, honestly speaking, in our first contact with Chainlink, it wasn't really the best um, until I went to Miami and I... Uh, I met uh, one of the Chainlink Labs team member, and I was telling you, uh, was telling him what we were gonna do, and that we tried to reach Chainlink. And he was like, "I'm super sorry, we are gonna fix this." And he introduced me to Luke. And I must tell that uh, uh, Luke was uh, the first um, Chainlink team member that let me understand, understood the Chainlink uh, work philosophy, right? Um, I can tell that after Luke, then there was many of his colleagues that uh, we met. So we, there are a few years like Roman and Zai, which I say hi. Um, uh, then it was a very incredible uh, way of co-working together. I always say that uh, Chainlink works very good humans. Like uh, uh, they are always happy to support and help in whatever we need. Um, so really, it was a very quick uh, relationship then. Uh, uh, we decided to be part of the build program. Of course, Luke is uh, the reason for uh, this beginning. So that uh, that is how this started. I want to. So we have a lot of people from the Chainlink community in this space. Welcome everybody. Hi, how you doing? This may be your first time that you've heard about Folks Finance or been exposed or introduced to us. So Ben, I want to hand it back to you. Just can you give people the overview of what folks finance is right now, and then also what we're going to be doing in collaboration with Chainlink uh, as we move into the near future. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, Fox Finance is uh, the largest DeFi app currently on Algorand. Uh, we aim to offer uh, similar services as a, a centralized exchange into a DeFi hub. So those services must be simple to use as they are on a centralized exchange, but as well guaranteeing the, um, the trust and the reliability and the decentralization of DeFi. Uh, so what Fox Finance offers right now is uh, lending, loans, uh, swaps, uh, we have the latest launch, the Utraswap, which allows you to edge on your collateral in order to have a multiplier over the market exposure. And uh, as well, uh, we also offer fiat uh, on and off ramp, but it's an integration. So as you can imagine, uh, also liquid staking, I'm not forgetting the most important Jalgo here. Um, but uh, um, again, the idea is to, to have this DeFi hub as one uh, central point of reference for DeFi users that uh, can have a very good user experience and no need to switch between a protocol and another. Um, so all of this is built on Algorand. We have over $80 million TVL, more than 7,000 active monthly users. And uh, um, right now, Fox Finance is in an expansion phase. So uh, we found uh, uh, Chainlink CCP as cross-chain messaging uh, uh, protocol a very useful technology in order to pursue this new development. Um, everybody check out the thread I just put at the top of the space, which will give you a, a quick um, textual introduction to folks finance as well as Ben's, um, Ben's explanation. Yes, we are a DeFi hub does many things. Uh, we started on Algorand and now we are expanding to build a cross-chain lending protocol. Ben, we're going to get more into maybe how that's going to work with CCIP. But I actually want to ask Luke, when when you in, uh, were introduced to Ben and he described the plan of folks finance to you, what were your initial thoughts and um, how eventually did you bring folks into the build program? Yeah, absolutely. Um got to say, Ben is probably one of the clearest communicators out there within the space. Um, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that's the key reason of how you guys can become one of the largest uh, DeFi protocols, and the largest DeFi protocol on Algorand. Um, when I first met Ben, I think when, when I first, back then, I think it was early in the day, CCIP wasn't even out in the market. Um, we were still in beta testing program. I believe, uh, he shared his vision of what he wanted to do, right? Which is basically cross-chain collateral. So for, for those that don't really understand what cross-chain collateral is, I'll give an example. Let's say you want to deposit as a lending protocol, you have collateral assets on chain A, right? And you typically what you have to do right now uh, under the current lending markets, which is operating in parallel multi-chain systems, you can only borrow collateral out from the chain that you put the collateral in. Uh, you can only borrow assets from the chain that you put the collateral in. Right? With cross-chain collateral uh, powered by CCIP, you basically don't have to bridge any collateral. If let's say I have ETH on Ethereum as an example, and I want to borrow some stables on another chain, let's say an L2, right? I could do it without bridging my collateral across to the L2. A lot more gas efficient for users, right? Um, but also it prevents 
the cumbersome user experience of having to interact with a third party bridge, getting out of the debt, bridge funds, wait for funds to reach, and then only then you can go back to the lending protocol to borrow assets, deposit the collateral and borrow assets. Obviously not the best. And I think when you shared that use case, it was a use case that resonated very strongly with us. And with that, we, back then in the day, we only, we hardly see any form of uh, protocols that are really natively cross-chain. If you look at most of the land markets right now, uh, even the EVM space, they typically operate on a multi-chain model, right? And they encountered huge uh, um, blockers because their code is very much structured that way. If they need to do a cross-chain collateral, they need to revamp their code base from the very beginning. So we hardly see such innovations within the blue chip uh, OG DeFi protocols on EVMs, right? And that's the benefit, I think, where folks finance expanding into EVMs right now, that's really the competitive advantage and we're happy to provide a secure solution to enable that use case and we are hugely bullish on, on that use case. Yeah, I think we can expand on uh, what Luke just uh, mentioned specifically for the lending protocols. Uh, so uh, obviously one of the main advantages is that uh, you will be able to use Folks Finance uh, uh, with uh, any wallet you prefer, obviously in the supported chain, and uh, uh, the interaction with uh, uh, the protocol and the, the network that are using underlined are being basically abstracted thanks to CCIP in this case. So the end users is going uh, just to connect the wallet he mostly like, use the assets that he mostly like, and for example, he can collateralize even on the native chain he's uh, uh, connecting from, but take a loan that is coming from a totally different chain, uh, even paying the interest there, but never need to know of uh, what are the steps that are undergoing to do certain operation, right? So um, uh, this I this narrative, I believe, that is extremely important for uh, uh, the next wave of new DeFi apps that I believe we will see a big rise in the next bull run, because uh, um, you are basically going over what is the standard multi-chain protocols, multi-chain protocols that uh, Luke described, where in order to move your assets from a chain uh, to another, you need to do all the manual process for closing the position, bridging, and then open it on another side. Um, with uh, um, the new cross-chain narrative uh, that folks finance will use and uh, CCP is powering in many uh, projects, all of this process of bridging are being abstracted. And uh, one more thing, which is very powerful specifically for lending protocol is that um, you are able to do uh, different operation in a different chain. So for example, uh, in our design, uh, one of the, um, the unique uh, design structure that we decided to have is that the, uh, the stable coins, which are mostly the borrowed assets are being uh, uh, concentrated into the hub chain. Uh, so the hub chain will be uh, having a better utilization ratio. Uh, for example, let's say USDC will be concentrated in the hub chain. And uh, um, the, the end user is going to be able to take a loan, which is uh, going to affect less the utilization ratio of the pool, 
uh, even if the loan can be larger compared to a fragmented liquidity model. So if, for example, just to understand, we look at Aave, Aave has uh, 10 different chains where the USDC are spread all over. So if we would imagine to squeeze all of this USDC liquidity from the different markets into one, obviously the pool would be much larger and much more stable compared to the same loans that you would take in each single uh, uh, fragmented liquidity uh, chain. Right, exactly. So it, it, it improves the liquidity, improves the user experience. Um, again, getting closer to that vision of it doesn't matter what blockchain you're using, what you prefer, if you prefer Ethereum, Polygon, Solana, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can just log in uh, with a wallet, connect it to another wallet or another chain if you want, and um, pretty much get the best of, of the whole um, package. And then, Luke, I actually want to ask you to, if you could provide us some details on how CCIP makes this an even better process. Um, which is, you know, especially relating to the messaging layer, instead of wrapping all the assets together and sending them across various chains, um, how does that make it more lightweight and, and better for the user in the end? Yeah, um, good point. And probably you can see CCIP is really angling on two different aspects, right? So on one aspect, CCIP is a messaging layer, right? Uh, on the other aspect, we also do work directly with token issuers so that you can bridge your tokens from one chain to the other, right? So if you look at it on the messaging layer, like what uh, what we have just previously mentioned, right, where you deposit collateral on one chain and you borrow funds on another chain that you're not that your collateral is not on, there's no tokens being transferred, right? All you're doing is sending a message in terms of the collateral value and the amount that you can that a user can borrow on the debt on the chain that he wants to borrow funds from. Right. However, back to Ben's uh example, let's say you want to have an aggregated pool on a hub chain, right? USDC pool for less fragmentation out there. When users want to borrow funds, let's say USDC on a, a destination chain that is not the hub chain. It would then call use CCIP right to call for USDC to be transferred from the hub right into the destination chain, right? So on the user's perspective, I don't care where the USDC comes from, it could all be aggregated in a single hub chain, right? For better liquidity, less fragmentation, right? But ultimately, I what's important to me is I receive the USDC that I called for, right, in the chain that I'm on. And that is that that specific example uses both token transfers alongside with messaging, right? Because you need to not just send a message, right? But also send tokens. In this particular case, it's USDC from the hub chain to the destination chain. So the good thing about CCIP is that at least on the use case level, it resolves a lot of problems, right? Previously, if you look at all the typical bridges that you see right now, within the space, most people are well acquainted with bridges that solely just do token transfers. You have not really seen too much interactions and use cases for messaging because there wasn't really a secure messaging solution out there where protocols can really anchor their entire protocol security on. If you look into the current model in the industry right now, 
most people just use a third party bridge solely just sending tokens right but you don't really see protocols anchoring the security on a, on a bridging protocol right it's usually standalone if the bridging protocol uh gets exploited right it's a standalone situation the tokens locked there will be having issues right and i think that's the good thing about ccip and that's really what we have gained uh what we have been encouraged about is the fact that we have taken tr over three years to build out this uh solution right and most people will think of us like why do you take so long three years is a long time ccip has been spoken about for quite some time but really we look into the cross-chain exploits within the space just in the past two years or so i was just looking at some data points i think it was 2.6 billion uh that was exploited right? right so our key goal here is really our security and we built grounds up to ensure that protocols can really anchor their protocol security on a secure messaging and bridging solution and how exactly does the technology of ccip improve uh, security compared to bridges of the past. Yeah, so I think everything lies within, uh, and it's quite well summarized, depicted in what we term as our mental framework of the five levels of security. Right. So if you can follow me here, right, it would be best if I have a diagram, but obviously I don't. Right. So if you can follow me, there is five levels of security, and what we term as level five being the most secure the most decentralized solution with minimal trust assumptions level one being the most centralized and having the most trust assumptions there so level one you can think of it is essentially having one single person a single entity right coming to consensus of the message or tokens supposed to be transferred from one chain to the other and they execute they execute the transaction so that's what we term as level one. Level two is what we see uh, existing, some of the existing solutions right now. One of the examples, you can think of it as multi-chain, right? Where seemingly it looks decentralized, but if you really go under the hood, you go into the documentations and understand the tech stack, it's a centralized solution, right? So what we have seen for multi-chain was the fact that the CEO and the founder basically holds the key to all the vaults, right? So he is the central point of failure, right? If he goes missing, there goes the protocol. What we see for level three is essentially where you have one decentralized network, right? One network that powers every single connectivity with every lane. So you can think of it a bit like a hub and spoke model specific to bridging. And why hub and spoke model don't really work in the bridging point of view, right? Is the fact that if let's say you're connected with, give an example, 20 to 100 chains out there, right? It is, what you will then have to do is that every transaction between each chains will have to flow through that network. And if that network is a blockchain, you will come into things like congestion issues. If you need to do upgrades, right? That network goes down, every connectivity across all chain goes down. Mm. If let's say, and, and that's not secure by the way, like, if let's say you're using a DeFi protocol, you're anchoring like cross-chain liquidations, what happens if they have an upgrade, the network suddenly clocks up, right? Then goes down, what happens to your liquidation, right? So it, it's really not a secure uh, aspect to, to look into. It doesn't scale as well, right? Um, 
what we do for level four is what you see for price feeds, right? Where you have a decentralized network that powers only one specific service. And in the price feeds set of things, it is one decentralized network that powers one price feed on one chain. So let's say if you're talking about an ETH to USD price feed on Ethereum is powered by a different network compared to an ETH to USD price feed on Arbitrum, right? So that we use that same model, we added upon it for CCIP, and that's what we term as level five, meaning instead of just having one network, now you have three networks, right, that you're trusting. And, uh, and that's coming to consensus of the messages. You have the committing Dawn. I, I really won't go into specific details, but you basically have three networks, committing Dawn, executing Dawn, and the risk management network. The good thing about CCIP as well is that with the risk management network, basically token issuers can configure the amount of assets that you want to be transferred. You can set in place rate limits, right? So you can configure, let's say if I want to send across Give an example, let's say down the line, the folks token or USDC from one chain to the other, I can put in place between this chain A to chain B, I only want 1 million tokens, right? To be transferred every one hour. And that's something that token issuers themselves has the right uh, and have the flexibility to mitigate the risk of having their assets and tokens across different chains and they can filter and move that rate limits based on the risk parameters of that chain. It just adds so much flexibility to what people can build with this tool, which I think is just one of the most impressive things about it. It actually, want, I want to bring up something up which will be in the uh, cross-chain lending then that we're building. You were mentioning that the, the USDC will be held on uh, one chain to... Um, to concentrate the liquidity. However, if you were collateralizing uh, a native token of a chain, let's say you were co uh, collateralizing BNB on Binance chain, that would stay on Binance chain if you were using it from that chain. And what is the, what's the purpose of this? Um, and what's the power of this decision to have each token stay on the chain that it's uh, native to? So basically, the idea is that uh, uh, based on the operation that you are doing and on the token that you are using, uh, there might be different dynamics where uh, uh, the token is better to stay on the native chain. For example, thinking of the example that you did, uh, it makes sense that the native asset of BNB chain, BNB, stays there also because of later when liquidation happens, if liquidation happens, to be liquidated where most of the liquidity is. So in that case, of course, it's going to be BNB chain, right? Um, so uh, bridging this over to the the hub chain where the USDC are coming from, I would just add, uh, uh, first of all, more expenses because you would need to do this transaction, uh, but as well more risks and uh, it would be useless. Um, so that is uh, the idea of having this flexibility that you can do based on the operation that you are doing. And then, of course, also um, there might be special cases where a user may want to have this in the hub chain, so he could customize the operation in order to do that as well. Uh, and one uh, very interesting thing uh, that we could mention is that, uh, uh, for example, for uh, uh, the USDC transfer is going to be used uh, directly CCTP. 
so in that case, we would have a direct transfer of native circle token in, uh, uh, in any chain, of course, where possible. And I think one thing that's super important for a user experience is uh, less wrapped tokens, the better. Uh, you know, would you agree, Ben, that wrapped tokens, a lot of the time when they go from chain to chain, it's easy for things to get overcomplicated. Um, 100%. Yeah. And uh, also, we, we, we can add more that uh, uh, I forecast, at least in my opinion, and I would like to hear Luke's opinion on this, but thanks to technology like CCIP, uh, in the next uh, 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 cycle, we are going to have many more uh, governance tokens which will be uh, natively minted cross-chain. So similar to USDC from Circle, uh, uh, you could decide to build your project and have uh, uh, the governance token being minted in different chains, thanks to CCAP. Yeah, indeed. So fully agree that I think the key thing that most people are realizing right now is that they need to have more ownership of the token contracts. Uh, I mean, protocols, right? Um, we have seen a lot of issues uh, where protocols themselves don't have token con uh, token the ownership of the token contract, and therefore they would then struggle uh, in terms of coordinating a cross-chain strategy that allows a better user experience and what then happens is you have too many rep tokens representation of that token across different chains. Just give an example, you see that for USDC. And that's the reason why they came up with CCKP, right? Was the fact that back then, I think back in the day, uh, Avalanche was popping up, right? And there's need to bridge USDC across to the other networks, including Avalanche. And then you see various different formats of USDC, right? So you have USDC.E and you have the native USDC, but then the USDC.E, most of the USDC is locked in a smart contract uh, on a chain like Ethereum, right? Which then creates more of an issue as you have more and more locked assets, right? Into that smart contract. And I think that's the reason why they also realized that with this approach, they have less control in terms of the USDC that's minted out there. And with that, they decided there's a need for USDC to be more natively cross-chain where they have the control and that's where they would then do things like CCTP that's put into place. Following up on Ben's point, uh, so yeah, CCIP will integrate CCTP under the hood. So when protocols use CCIP, they can not just transfer USDC, but they can also incorporate the messaging solution of CCIP to instruct what to do with the USDC on the various chains. And that is not possible with US, uh, CCTP alone, right? So I think that's, that's the benefit of having tokens across different chains and then being supported as a supported asset on CCIP where your tokens can be composable, meaning any DeFi protocol that's using CCIP, right, can then also tap into your token and then build use cases on top of which, right? So I, I think we, we see like the traction cross-chain uh, uh, direction going this way, where with that, you have less rep assets, right? There's a lot more coordination on what the native token would be, right? And on the contract, the token issuer side of house, which is the protocol, right? There is less reliance on having your asset locked up in smart contracts in many different places, right? Where you don't have 
visibility, if you need to do a token migration, it will be a huge pain, right? But let's say when you have, at least when you're holding on to the token contract ownership, right, then you're not vendor locked into any particular solution. Right. And the thing that we want to avoid, I guess, is, is further fragmentation. Uh, like you mentioned, we, we don't want um, just token and then you have like A token, B token, C token, token E, token F, token G, by which I mean all these uh, derivative versions of it. Because the problem is, of course, that when you are um, when you are building a liquidity pool, you have to specify the exact uh, token that you need. And if these, you know, important liquidity tokens or uh, pieces of collateral are split between many versions, it becomes further difficult to bring it all together and actually centralize the liquidity um, in which would allow larger players to come and use the protocol. So that's that's why, you know, technology like CCIP is going to be so important. I think one uh, point that we can reflect also uh, regarding this specific use case is that uh, also uh, when considering uh, uh, listing on exchanges of tokens that are uh, potentially on uh, multiple uh, chains, uh, then you need to have uh, the, cha the exchange selecting the different network. Uh, but indeed, having this type of technology would uh, simplify a lot for the exchange themselves uh, uh, for example, the withdrawal or the deposit from multiple networks, because uh, by leveraging uh, uh, this uh, uh, this new uh, minting and uh, bundling mechanism, it is much more easier. I want to ask you too a question which I had written down in preparation for this podcast. Um, I'm going to send it to Ben first, and I'm going to send it to Luke, or maybe uh, Luke you can reply to Ben. So Ben, what are some new trends or innovations in DeFi that have made an impression on you lately? What do you think will be a, a big talking point, you know, over the next year or two? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, of course, we mentioned it before DeFi, the new cross-chain narrative, which for me will be extremely important. But as well, uh, I think that uh, we are going to have a massive uh, growth in uh, RWA, in uh, real-world tokenized assets. And also there, like uh, knowing the uh, many projects that are in the build program, also using CCIP and the Chainlinx technology, I really see how this would uh, uh, spike in the next year. There are so many good projects being built using uh, um, uh, those technology, uh, especially because if we think, for example, CCIP, the way it connects also to uh, traditional finance, for example, with Swift, uh, those use cases will be much uh, more powered from uh, uh, certain integration, right? And um, potentially I would see more of a switch towards uh, uh, merging between the permissionless market and permissioned market because this type of use cases that power serial world assets are uh, in many cases uh, uh, connected to regulation. But uh, as well, the permissionless side of DeFi is kind of adapting to that in order to be able to uh, to welcome those assets and let's imagine you know, a lending protocol like Fox Finance, how powerful it will be to have uh, uh, as a collateral real-world assets. That's uh, what we, we want to bet on as well. What do you think, Luke? What are some of uh, the new trends in DeFi which, which are standing out to you these days? Yeah, 100%. I think um, Ben and I probably have the same views here. <laughs> 
Um, so I think real world assets is the space to watch, right? Um, and I think largely we would see, and what I'm really excited about is uh, really more so in terms of the real world use case and the adoption of the blockchain technology in the long run. And what do I mean by this, right? So you see traditional uh, financial institutions have been looking into the space for quite a couple of years right now, right? But what excites me is the fact of the rate of product innovations on their end, right? So they are not just uh, like just talking about it, writing reports about it, but they are actually launching products on it, right? So if you look at PayPal as an example with the PYUSD, that's only one example, right? Uh, you look at the current work that we have done with ANZ, Right, where they tokenize green assets and bridge it across different chains using CCIP, right? And this is on public chains as well. Right? This is a very good case study of the fact that within those organizations and banks in general, it's not just another innovation project on their end. They are really looking into this by having dedicated manpower, dedicated team that is building out their products using the blockchain technology. And why exactly is that important for us? Right. I was just looking at some data points, uh, and this has been on my mind for quite some time. If we look into the DeFi market right now, it's a right now I think it's a forty-three billion uh, market. And if we look into the crypto market in general, it's a one point three trillion market. One bank alone, which is what I mentioned, let's give an example of ANZ, right? Is uh, one of the leading banks in Australia. It has a one trillion uh, AUM, right? You look at the global stock market; it's a one hundred and nine trillion uh, market. And let's not just talk about derivatives, right? Which is in the quadrillions. Right? So, largely, what's important here is the fact that suddenly the blockchain industry, from a forty-two, forty-three billion industry, could potentially grow into in the hundreds of trillions of dollars of industry, right? Um, and if this is then used right, then this exposes a lot of people into really using blockchain technologies out there. And that's also where the overlap between permission chain and permissionless chain, public chains out there would grow, right? Uh, and that's where our entire industry will grow. So very, very excited about the entire RWA space, right? Another one that I'm also looking into would be, for example, the cross-chain space, which I've already elaborated upon and hugely excited at the synergies between the projects in the build program because uh, really the core essence is we see a lot of exciting teams and very, very promising teams. And we're trying to build a community of builders here and fostering synergies between all parties. And then the other one would be something that you guys have already uh, been a massive part of, which is the LSD, LSD market, right? So like we see a lot more of LSD5 protocols uh, that's coming up as well, right? Uh, LSD think... being liquid staking derivatives? Yes, indeed. Just to clarify yep. for yep. the audience, yep. And I think that's where new DeFi primitives is being built on top of LSD uh, assets together with real-world assets. And I think that is really where we see a lot of product market fit 
uh, at, at this point in time, a lot of innovations being built out within the space. And I'm highly excited for that. It really speaks to how far the, the blockchain industry has come that we're very, very close to being legitimized and standing alongside or working along with uh, traditional and uh, historical uh, centralized financial institutions and other institutions as well. Uh, there are a lot of use cases for blockchain beyond finance, um, which, you know, are, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, I think it's almost time for us to wrap it up. It's been an incredible, uh, you know, 45 minutes or so. Um, and is there anything, Luke, that you want to leave us with before we do the final statements? I just want to say thanks for joining us. Yeah, um, I realized we spoke quite a bit about um, CCIP uh, crushing use cases uh, and hugely excited about the entire space. Um, what I probably want to also shed a bit of light uh, would be the build program that we have, right? So I think right now, it has just passed the one-year mark of the build program. So we kick-started that sometime in uh, late September of last year, right? Uh, Till then, I think we have seen a lot of uh, very, very promising, brilliant founders, projects that has really come into the build program. Uh, I think now we are 70 odd projects in the build program, right? Um, and really the key goal about the build program here is the fact that we want to work on a much closer level with projects that we want to grow alongside with, right? And ultimately, I think this excites me. So this Twitter space is exciting because we see a crossover of our community, right? Uh, between both parties, right? The folks finance community, as well as the Chainlink community, both getting to know what each other is building, discovering synergies that way. And really that's where we build our community around each other, right? And then we see a lot more overlap between how our community can be part of folks finance community, vice versa, together with the fact that there are so many different DeFi protocols, gaming protocols, infrastructure protocols that is within the build program and all can support each other. And that's really where uh, I really do think that the build program is something that I'm very, very excited about as well, right? And with that, I'm very happy to get this opportunity to work on a much closer level, align incentives among every single one of us, right? And that, that's where we will basically be there to create the next wave of innovations and get the next wave of users coming on board. Yeah, I think I can uh, uh, strengthen uh, your uh, your last uh, statement, uh, Luke, because uh, uh, even though we are uh, one of the newest part of the build uh, members of the build program, I can tell that attending uh, three events all over the world and. Uh, uh, continuously meeting uh, in uh, the build dinners, uh, all of the projects. Um, it's very beautiful the way you're trying to create a family that uh, uh, you push us to collaborate to each other. Um, and uh, I honestly suggest uh, if there is any project uh, in the audience that is listening and uh, um, is using Chainlink in any of the services, I uh, should probably talk to Luke about uh, build. That's a, um, a very helpful ecosystem. Definitely agree. Uh, Go ahead. I just went. <laughs> and likewise for the chaining community that's here, right? I, I think we've got to show 
more love and attention into uh, like folks finance they have been building i've been working alongside with them for i would say since the start of this year right or the past couple of months and they have been fantastic right um it's hugely exciting I, i'm not sure how much i can speak into it but it's hugely exciting what they're building and they are a very very professional and experienced team uh given their experience already within the algorand space so keep a lookout on the developments on their end as they go into the EVM side, a lot more overlaps and synergies with what we are building as well. And I'm hugely excited. Uh, obviously, I uh, can't speak much about it, but once staking comes up, I, I think that's where the economic, align- the economic incentive alignment uh, between folks finance and our community here is all to the fact that we want each other to succeed in the long run. Thank you so yeah. much, Luke. It was great to really have you here. I would say that we should have uh, a new Twitter space with Luke and uh, the Chainlink community as soon as we main at our testnet, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, Luke, you're always welcome back on the show. It was amazing to have you here. Your insights were uh, really phenomenal, and I personally learned a lot. I hope everyone else in the uh, in the audience did as well. Um, Thank you. Thank you for coming uh, and showing up and bringing the Chainlink community to, to introduce themselves to us. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Um, if you want to listen to this article, or sorry, article, podcast, you can find it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts as well. Just look up Folks and Friends. Or if you're on YouTube, look up Folks Finance. It will be there. We have other episodes as well. Uh, check out our app, uh, folks.finance is the website. You can find uh, various information there. Of course, you'll, you'll get linked to the app as well. Um, check out Folks Academy. We have a lot of educational videos there, academy.folks.finance. And of course, if you uh, just want to keep it simple, you can follow our X profile, um, keep up to date on what we're building. We will have a lot of updates coming soon. Uh, regarding how we're integrating Chainlink into the cross-chain lending protocol. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who came to and listened to the uh, the space today. Welcome to our new Chainlink uh, friends. And thank you once again for uh, showing up. We will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.